I don't know about you, uh, uh, a week ago, I turned 53. I know I look 39. Um, but how many you know the older you get, the more you realize you, you can look back over your life and you can see maybe some of the things you did wrong. And, and I know all of us, how many of you have done something that, that you just kind of regret? You're like, I wish I could do that again, right? And we've all been there. And the... You know, the the older I get and, and just talking to people and seeing our world, um, when you get under the surface in people's lives and and we start to scratch below the surface, I realize one thing that people are hurting. And and and, and, and life can throw us curveballs and we make mistakes and, and I see how people easily can all of us, including myself, we live with regrets. And wishing that we could do things over. And then what happens is we live with the guilt and the condemnation uh, within our lives. And it's hard to get over those. And it can be devastating in our lives. And, and it can leave us in a prison that we can't get out. I, I want to bring you some good news here this morning. Because, because of the cross and because of the resurrection, everything changes. And there's hope for a future. And I think for most of us, we, we, we are tied and we are chained to our past because of either things that have been done to us that weren't right or things that we have done to others or things that we've said that we didn't mean or things that other people hold over us. And it's a chain that ties us to our past. What I love about the word of God, it doesn't whitewash people's sins. It, it doesn't give us a candy-coated, potpourri-smelling type of Christianity that everything's great and everything's wonderful. It actually shows us that people are sinners and that people make mistakes, mistakes but there's hope. I, you know, I, I wish life came with a reset button. How many wish that you could just do things over, right? If you could just rewind and say, ah, I wish I didn't do that. And I, I remember when I was a kid, I was about 10 years old. And behind our house, we had this railroad tracks. When the train came out, it was so loud. And how many just had that friend that was just a little naughty, just, just a little, wanted to get you in a little bit of trouble. And of course, I had that friend, you always pushing the boundaries a little bit. So my friend had this great idea that uh, we could go to the railroad tracks. He lived in my neighborhood and he goes, let's, let's go to the railroad tracks. And when the train comes by, let's just yell out the most naughtiest words we know, which were like three, um, which I learned from my parents. No, I'm just teasing. Um, so so <laughs> I just threw my parents under the bus. They'll be at the second service. I will change that. Uh, so just to let you know, hopefully they won't listen to this message online. Um, so we're back there. We're just yelling out the three words we know, and we're just having a blast. And we're like, oh, you know, because no one could hear us because the train. All of a sudden, we look around, and there's my friend's mom. And she hears everything. Right now, if I could have a do over, it would have been right then. Now, I think my friend, it was back in the day where you got your mouth washed out with soap. I remember that, right? I have no idea. That was just barbaric. I have no idea. Uh, I, I think I got grounded. I don't know, but I think my friend got his mouth. It's like, you know, the Christmas story with Ralphie and he's got the soap in his mouth. That was my friend. Uh, I think he got in some big trouble and I did too. Uh, but, but I wish there was a redo button. And, and there's, and there's, in life, we know there isn't. There's not this re, uh, reset button that, that we could just wish we could just do things over. But I want to I, I wanna deal with that today because we all have regrets. And, and maybe you've even said this to yourself. If only I would have fill in the blank. If, if only I would have done that differently. Or if, if I only would have just done that, but I didn't. So life, we understand, doesn't come with this do-over button. 
Those thoughts can haunt us and it can keep us from living out our lives at times. Um, I heard someone mention this website and the website was called Secret Regrets. And on on that site actually are thousands of posts where people answer the question, what is the greatest regret in your life? And they, they don't put their name on it. They can just do it. And I think for some people, it's just therapy just to get something out that they've hidden in their life for so long and, and they're battling with this regret. It's been this heavy weight on their heart and their lives. And so they're just able to write into this website and just say what they regret. Let, let, some are really brutal. I mean, some are brutally honest. But let, let me give you a couple of regrets that people wrote. Uh, these are real. These are what people wrote on the website. One was this. It says, I regret allowing myself to speak badly about a friend when they betrayed me. I should have turned to God and given it, given it up to him, but I got angry and impatient and I acted irrationally. Another, another person posted, I regret having participated in bullying a classmate and having been mean to another. I regret all the times I've mocked and made nasty comments and sneered at these two guys. I regret not having to apologize for my hurtful words, and I regret not having the courage to contact them and tell them that I'm sorry. Another person put, I regret the way I treated people. As I type this, I, I feel so alone. I have no one to call. I've been so cruel towards people throughout my life that I've pushed them all away. I deserve this, but I wish things were different. I wish that I could start over and be more kind Being lonely sucks. I regret, another person wrote, I regret not having the guts to tell my parents about my addictions. Not having the guts to break the positive image that I carefully crafted through the years of lying. I regret not having the guts to admit that I couldn't do it on my own. And lastly, someone wrote in, typed in this, Regret. They said, I regret not getting sober sooner. I was an alcoholic for 18 years. It's brought destruction to my family, my marriage, my relationships, my relationship with my kids. And I believe every single one of us in this room can relate. Regrets can be a prison that we place ourselves into. Regrets can be a prison bar on our lives that we just feel like, how can I get out of this? It's an area that is difficult for us to talk about. It's something we we just normally don't like to share with people. But here's the question I want to pose to you today because the resurrection has everything to do with our past and our past failures and how we overcome them. How do we deal with regrets and failures? How do we deal with regrets and failures? Whether whether or not you you have shared your regrets or you hide them, we all have them. And, And this is where I believe Easter comes in. Because Jesus comes and deals actually with our failures and our shortcomings, which every single one of us have fallen short of God's perfection. We just have. No matter how hard I try to be good, there's always that time where I'm going to fail or I'm going to upset someone or I'm going to let somebody down. And if you're a perfectionist, this drives you crazy because you just want to make sure, you know, that you're doing the right thing and that you don't. If someone has to correct you, like that makes you mad, that irritates you because you're like, man, I should have been on top of that. How did I miss that? And it drives you crazy, especially if you're 
a perfectionist. And so this is where Easter comes in. Someone who wrote pretty much half of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, uh, actually can relate to all of us. And we're thinking, well, that's the Apostle Paul. But yes, he can relate. And he didn't, he didn't whitewash his shortcomings that we see in the Word of God. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul looks back over his life and actually shares with us the mistakes that, he, that he's made, even in the name of God when he was serving God with the wrong motives before he came with, uh, to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and basically, Paul wanted to wipe out Christians before uh, he himself became a Christian. There's something that changed in Paul. What changed the trajectory of Paul's life from being self-serving, a self-righteous person, hating Christians, to one who became one himself and actually allowed himself to be persecuted under, uh, he, he went through suffering for Jesus Christ. What happened to Paul? And what happened to Paul? He, he, he got to see for himself the risen Savior. The resurrection changed everything from Paul. And Paul talks about this that we see in the word of God. And so Paul encounters Jesus and and with this changed everything for his life. So Paul writing towards the end of his life, this is what he says about his life. And he's got a lot of regrets. There's a lot of things that he did wrong that he was ashamed of. And this is what he says in Philippians 3, 12 through 14. I love what he says here because he's so honest. And here's, here's the apostle Paul who saw the risen savior who wrote half of the New Testament. He says, he goes, I, I, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already uh, reached perfection. But he says, but I press on. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. What does he focus on? Forgetting what? The past And looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling every single one of us who are in Christ Jesus. So Paul writes this knowing that he did a lot of bad things in his past. Um, he even had he even had Christians killed. He uh, but now after seeing the resurrected Christ, everything changes for Paul. So so what what changed for him? What what does the, I want to make this personal for us this morning? What, what does the resurrection do for all of us? What does it do for us? How can we take this story? And sometimes I think we can just take it as a story that happened two thousand years ago. But how can I relate? The story of the resurrection, because no one can prove that Jesus didn't raise from the grave. There's just so much evidence towards Jesus and his and his resurrected life. And you see the apostles that gave their life because they saw the res- resurrected Savior. Why? Why would the apostles, you know, give their lives for a lie? Wouldn't you, you would think someone after a while would say, "Hey, this was fun for a while. You know, this was fun perpetrating this lie, but I'm out." I'm, I'm done. Uh, they're, they're actually dying for this, and I'm not going to die for a lie. But they, they died for the truth. They died for the truth that Jesus indeed was God, that he rose from the grave. And so what does it mean for you and I? Well, here's what I want you to see. The resurrection gives us a new start from our past. 
And this is what Paul discovered, that the resurrection gives us a new start from our past, from our past regrets and the mistakes that we have made. So, so what does Paul do with this past? Well, he says, I, I don't look back. And in verse 12, Paul says that it's not that he's perfect or reached perfection, but he says, I press on even knowing these things and the stuff that I did in my past, I'm going to press on. See, Paul admits his mistakes to God. He, he, he knows that he was proud and arrogant in his religious pursuits. Um, in fact, Paul compares um, his former life and all things that he did outside of Christ is basically just garbage. He goes, all those things are nothing in comparison to my relationship that I have now in Christ Jesus. And so notice, notice what Paul says. He, he doesn't press on in himself. He presses on in Christ who, who changed him. And so what Paul does is he dealt with his past in the right way. So we first need to deal with our past in the right way. And so this is how we deal with our past. Own your mistakes and give them to Christ. Just, just own them. There's something about owning something. When you say, yeah, I messed up. I made a mistake. How, how, how that power of that mistake and that regret no longer has its power over us when we're willing to admit it to God and confess it to the Lord. See, we only give that thing power when we don't confess it to God. And, and the thing is, God already knows it. We're not hiding anything from him. He knows everything about our hearts. And so when we confess that thing and our mistake and we give them to Christ, it no longer has that power over us. Last week, we talked about the purpose of the cross and the cross of Christ takes all our sins and our regrets and it's where we find forgiveness. You see, when someone was crucified, they would actually nail their offenses on the cross with them. So all those that were watching would know their crime and they would cast their judgment upon them. See, when Jesus died on the cross, we know that he was perfect, that he was the son of God, that he was God, that he was perfectly righteous. And what Jesus does for us, there's this great exchange that happens on the cross. He becomes our substitute. Jesus took our penalty for us by becoming our substitute. Paul says it so well in Colossians. He says, listen, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave what? He forgave all our sins. And I love this next part. I love uh, verse 14 here. He says, and he canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So Jesus took that penalty for you and I. And so if we were to nail all our offenses on the cross, there wouldn't be enough room on there, would there? That thing would keep going and going and going and going and going. And what Jesus does by dying on the cross for us, he takes that penalty for you and I. And he appeases God's holy standards for you and I. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus did for you and I. He pays our debt. He took our charges and actually nailed it to the cross. And so the, the, the hope of the resurrection is now my past no longer has its grip on my life anymore because I've been forgiven of that. Now, does that mean I'm not going to make a mistake tomorrow or two? We, how many know we're all going to make mistakes? We're, not, we're definitely not perfect. We haven't been perfected yet. Paul even said that. But he says, here's how I work through that. I keep pressing up. 
I keep moving forward. I don't look back. How many know when you look back, that's not a good thing? When you look back, you get stuck. You get immersed in those things. And Paul said, I could look back over my life and just get all discouraged all over again and say, man, but how can I call myself a Christian when I used to want to kill Christians? How can I do that? Or how can I call myself a Christian when I used to think that way or did those things or, or, or I did this particular thing? How can I call myself a follower of Christ? I, I don't want to be a, a hypocrite. But here's the thing Paul says. That doesn't mean we're never going to make a mistake in the future, but we have one that we can go to now to find forgiveness of our mistakes. What Paul is telling us is, is that our mistakes no longer have power over us to hold us down. So he's saying, don't, don't look back. So the resurrection, what it does is it gives us hope that our future will be beyond anything we can imagine. It's beyond anything we can imagine. The resurrection gives us hope that our future will be beyond anything we can imagine. So Paul doesn't allow himself to be consumed with his past. Paul is, is focused on his future. Um, th- there's something that just amazed me. I love watching the Olympics. And what amazes me is gymnastics. I have no idea how a gymnast can actually stay on a four foot or four inch beam. I could stand a four foot beam. I could do that, but probably not. Maybe not. Um, a four. So, so I'm going to show you something. I got something that you guys want to see something. I got something hidden in the back here. I'll be right back. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm still here. All right, so what I've got for you here is I've got basically, everybody know what this is? What is this? Somebody come up here and let me whack you with this thing, right? I have this, I have this in my house because I have two boys. And sometimes they get out of hand. No, I'm just teasing. So, so what is this? Well, oh, yeah, okay, Ruth, it's a balance beam. We know that. But it's like a balance. It's, it's a two by four, right? <laughs> a lot of construction people in here. This is about how far I go. So we, we've got to, so basically they're, they're on this Basically, this is what it is. Now, we all know it's probably a little smaller, but this is what, what they're... I can't even walk this thing without falling down. They're on this, this four-inch beam, and it's amazing how they can do flips and everything else on this, this beam. And so I wondered what, what keeps a gymnast on, on a four-inch beam. And I, so I did some research on this, on how they train gymnasts to, to stay uh, on this beam. And really what it is, it's all about focus. It's really all, if you, if you did gymnastics, it's all about focus. And what they're, what they're supposed to focus on, what I read, is that um, you focus on the end of the beam. You, you can't focus over here. I mean, try it later, just try it. Just um, try to go on one foot like this. If you focus on, like I'm focused on the knot in, in, in the two by four, if I focus that, I can stand on one foot. But sometimes as you're looking all over the place, you're going to lose your balance. See, focus helps you to remain balanced. Now, what's interesting is there's another com- concept here uh, for helping gymnasts remain on the beam. And, and uh, it's, it's that what they're supposed to do is keep their upper body in line and they instruct the gymnast that they're actually being squeezed by two walls. So as they're on the beam, they're looking at the end of the beam and they're pretending or they're visualizing themselves being squeezed in by two walls so that they don't look at anything else around them, that they're looking at the end of the beam, that they're squeezed in between these two walls. Now, what I've noticed, here's my 
input into the whole thing about gymnastics and the beam. I've noticed something about gymnasts. When they're on the beam, it's interesting that this one little simple move seems to trip up most gymnasts. Now, it's not the front flip or the back flip that seems to um, cause them to fall off the beam. What I've noticed in a lot of gymnasts is when they just have to do a half turn on the beam and just turn like this. Like it's part of the routine. I think it's part of the make that. Th- and they just spin on their heels. And then, then they, I'm like, what? Thousands of hours of preparing. You just did this front flip, a back flip, you know, eight flips in the air. You land back on it. But then you got to do this simple little half turn. And then you got to check yourself on the beam. You can't do the ha- Focus. The problem is you're changing direction. And you're going back. See, what our regrets do is this. When we look back, we lose focus. Listen, if there's anything the enemy wants you to do, he wants you to look back. He wants you to be stuck in your past. Because he knows that if you're stuck there, you're not looking forward for what Christ has in store for you. And so here's what Paul said. Paul said, listen, I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to do a half turn. I'm going to keep looking at the end of the beam. I'm going to be squeezed in between these two walls. And I'm going to keep looking forward and keep pressing on towards the prize which Christ has for me. And so Paul understands this. No distractions. This is what Paul says. Paul says, but this one thing I do is I focus on this one thing. One thing. Everybody say one thing. One thing. This is the one thing you focus on. Because there's a million things we can focus on. How many of you get distracted ADD like me? I mean, I just like, I can just get distracted. I mean, Kathleen, my wife, hates driving me in the car because I just get so distracted because it's just boring, you know, looking forward. And I, so I kind of look around. I'm like, oh, look at all those deer over there in that field, honey. She's like, are you kidding me? That's like 800 yards away. How did you see all those deer? I'm just like, I, she goes, keep your eyes on the road. Honey, focus. She looks at me. Focus. Focus. We can easily get distracted. So Paul says this one thing that I do. He goes, doing what? What's his focus? Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. So how can Paul be so confident? How can Paul be sure that his sins are forgiven, that his past regrets are covered, that his guilt is no longer hung over his head. Well, Paul's confidence was not in himself, but in a savior who conquered sin and the grave. That's why Paul could be so confident. He says, it's, I'm not confident because I've done everything perfect or I am doing everything perfect. That's not where his confidence came from. His confidence came from a savior who died in the cross for him and who rose from the grave. He's putting his confidence in the only one who could truly save him. As righteous as Paul thought he was, as how hard he strived after God, he realized he fell short. It wasn't enough. And so he didn't allow his past regrets and failures to hold him back because he knew that he had to focus on the Lord. So, so he, here's the thing I want you to look at. How, 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 how can we be like Paul where he says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. How can we have that focus? Well, here's how you have that focus. You keep looking into the empty tomb because the empty tomb changes everything. 
I love the story of the two Marys. Two Marys went to the tomb on Sunday morning, and they heard these words from the angel. Matthew records it for us. This is what happened. They come there, they're looking for him, and what, what does the angel say? The angel says, he isn't here. He is risen. Can you imagine what they felt when they heard those words? That he isn't here. The greatest words ever said, I believe, are these very words. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Just as he said what happened, come see where his body was, was, was laying. He's not here anymore. Completely changed everything. For the Marys, for all the disciples, the empty tomb changed everything. And now the focus of their lives were different. Think of Peter, how much those words, he is not here, he is risen, changed him because he just, he just denied Jesus three times. He denied him. Turned his back on him. There's no one there with him. Everybody left Jesus. But Jesus comes back. He raised from the grave and he tells him, Listen, these are all the things I, I, I told you. He restores, he heals, he brings them a new sense of hope. And, and so this is, this is the takeaway I want, I want to bring to you today. The empty tomb is a constant reminder. It's a constant reminder to us that our past doesn't have the final say. Easter gives us a new future and a hope that even though I messed up, I get heaven. That's what I want you to focus on here today. What I wanted to do is I wanted to show you a, uh, a, a video uh, that I saw, a story that I saw, a true story that I saw a couple months ago. Um, Hoda Copy from NBC, she did a story about a pastor, and some of you may have seen this, but I just thought it was unbelievable. A story about a pastor who um, went through a tragic, tragic loss of his wife due to somebody falling asleep at the wheel. And he lost his wife and the, and the child that was within her. Th- this story of forgiveness and how this, how this pastor forgave this man was incredible because it was only through the power of Christ that this man could do this and how it changed the life of this person who made this horrible mistake I thought they did an absolutely brilliant job in bringing forth the forgiving power of Jesus Christ to forgive our past, all our messiness, all our mistakes, and then how it gives us a completely different future when we are in Christ Jesus, a completely different hope. So I wanted to show it to you here today. So just look up at the screens at this time. Amen. That was good, wasn't it? Yeah. Man, I think I've seen it like 20 times. I get messed up every time I watch that. Here's the thing. Life is messy. I love what he said there. It's messy. And we all live with our past. We all live with these regrets. Is God's grace great enough to change your life? Yes, it is. And this is just a real story 
of a very difficult situation where the pastor said that you could have easily chosen hate over love. And that's exactly what Christ did for us. Father God, forgive them for they know not what they do as he hung on the cross. God demonstrates his love towards us, the Bible says, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He didn't wait for you to get it all together, right? He didn't wait for you to get a tie to come to church on Easter before he would forgive you. He forgave you. And now what he does is he calls us to come and lay all those regrets, that sin at his feet and allow God to heal you today through his son, Jesus. That's what he's offering you today. I love the cross, the story of the cross, because it's so beautiful, because he who was perfect bore our sins, took on all regrets, all the messiness of life. And what this pastor did is he actually lived out the gospel message to this other young gentleman who so desperately needed to hear the word of grace, and it changed his life. Listen, life is too short to hold on to bitterness. Listen, I deal with a lot of people. I'm a pastor. I deal with people uh, in the end of their life. And one of the regrets is I've never, I've never, ever heard somebody say, Pastor, bring me my bowling trophies. I just want to hold it one more time. Or bring me my checkbook. I just want to hold it and pet it. No, it's they want their family. They want to make things right. They want to take those past regrets and find healing. That's what Christ offers you today. He offers you his healing from your past. And it's by his grace, the Bible says, that you are saved, that you are changed, that you are made new. So that the, tra- the trajectory of your life goes from one of looking to the past and the burdens and the guilt to one that looks now to a bright future, as Paul said, a heavenly one. Jesus said to his disciples, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. See, fear and worry always causes us to look back. And then it grips our heart. He says, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me, trust, you know, trust in God, trust in me also. For in my Father's house are what? There are many rooms, many mansions, many dwelling places. For I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I've got you covered. I've got you covered. Just put your trust in me. I know your past. I already know it. But guess what? I died for it. It's covered through my precious blood. So I want to pray for you today and just to allow God to deal with your heart today. And if you're here today and you've walked in with some heaviness or you've walked in with like, man, I've got all this stuff in my past, I want you to reach out to Christ. So would you just bow your heads with me real quickly? Just bow your hearts with me. And I want to pray for you. How many of you would just be so bold as to say, Pastor Barden, would you just pray for me today? That's me today. I just need God's help in my life today. I've come in with some pretty heavy stuff, and I want God to change my heart. Would you just raise your hand so I could pray for you? Thank you. Awesome. 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 Good. I love that. And as we, as we pray, listen. There's a response card in the seat. I would love to know what God has done in your heart. If you need prayer or you've made a commitment to Christ, if you could be so kind as just to take maybe a couple of minutes at the end of the service and just write that down so I can pray for you and rejoice with you. Maybe it's just like, hey, God changed my path today. 
Somebody invited me and I just thought I was going to get a ham dinner. I didn't think my whole life was going to change after this. Maybe it's just simply God has covered my guilt. Maybe it's simply I've been holding on to this thing way too long and I now realize that, that God has forgiven me, that Christ has forgiven me. Just take a couple moments and just write that down. Just leave the card at your seat. We'll pick them up after. and We just want to rejoice with you, celebrate with you, and help you in your journey with Jesus. So Father God, I thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for covering our past that, that the resurrection changes everything. Thank you that, that, Lord, you don't hold our past over us any longer, that through Christ Jesus and his death on the cross, that we can find forgiveness and healing and that our lives become new, that we are new, a new creation, a new being, and now we get heaven. <laughs> We don't deserve it. We don't merit it. But through Christ Jesus, we can find a new way. And so I pray that for every heart here today, for those that are putting their trust in you right now, Jesus, I pray that you would change everything for them. That doesn't mean, just like the, the gentleman in the video, he still lives with that, but his, his future has changed now. He's found forgiveness and grace. And we see how hate and unforgiveness could have had a differently, a whole different outlook in that story. But because of your grace and your forgiveness, that story changed. And that's what you do for us, Jesus. You change our stories. You change our stories. So I pray that right now you would begin to start changing stories in people's lives. Thank you for doing that, Jesus. And we just put our trust in you now. In your precious name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to stop crying.